While you're pulling out your, your sermon outlines, I um, want to tell you about a special event that's going to be taking place in San Antonio this next Sunday afternoon down at the Pearl. Uh, many of you know uh, Jennifer and Herb Allen. They've been members here at MAC for a number of years, and their two sons, Sam and, and Charlie. Uh, what you might not know is that Jennifer is uh, one of the leading authorities and advocates for autism and uh, Asperger's in San Antonio and helping minister to, to families and, and encouraging them and being a, a source of information in a place where uh, especially a lot of mo- mothers uh, can, can ask questions and get information and get information. And Jennifer has, in a sense, become uh, not just known in this city, but she's known statewide. This last, and this was not the first time this has happened, but this last week she was up in Austin and uh, she and her son Sam were talking with uh, DPS troopers about uh, some of the characteristics that they might recognize in autism and Asperger's as they go about doing, doing their, their business with the public. And uh, uh, Jennifer is a, is a graduate of Abilene Christian University. Uh, she, she and Ellen and I were, were in college together. She was a, a year behind us. That's why she looks so much younger. But Abilene Christian University has recognized uh, the greatness of her work and her influence, her Christian influence in this particular area in San Antonio and the state at large. And so they are going to be honoring her with, uh, with an alumni award this next week. And it's going to be at 2 o'clock at the San Antonio Foundation. That's 303 Pearl Street down at the Pearl. It's going to, get, again, start at 2 o'clock. Uh, I'm going to be uh, one of the... The, uh, the the speakers, but they they said only five minutes, and I'm going to try to adhere to that. When it comes to to to, to talking about Jennifer, it's going to be a very very difficult thing. I think Jennifer is sort of a, a force of nature for the kingdom of God in this city in ministering to families that a lot of us never have contact with. And so I would ask that uh, uh, you might write a little pink card to Jennifer Allen and and let her know how much you appreciate her ministry in this city. And if you have an opportunity uh, at two o'clock. This next Sunday, uh, the 21st, to meet down at the, the uh, San Antonio Foundation building down at the Pearl, you can be a part of that, uh, that recognition of, of Jennifer and her work in San Antonio. Let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, as we get ready to press our minds into your word and to open that word in such a way that our eyes not only see it and our ears hear it in a, in a mechanical way, but that through your spirit, Father, you help us to discern the message that you have for us as you speak to us through this word that comes to us, Father, from your heart. And as we do this, Father, we, th- we think deeply about the need for us to be reminded of some essential facts in living as a disciple of Jesus. And so as we do this, Father, bless us. Bless us. And this we ask in the name of Jesus and all the church said, <coughs> Amen. As you know, uh, this is a time of year when a lot of our young people are heading out of town and getting ready to, uh, to go to boot camp or they're going to a vocational school or they're getting ready to, to move away to, to a university. And at this time every year, as a church family, we, we think it's important to not only remind ourselves, but, but to remind our, our kiddos of, of some essential facts or some essential truths that make life as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth not only successful, but especially joyful. And, and productive as that disciple. And I want to begin with a, with a story 
Uh, how many of you know uh, the author Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Life in the Time of Cholera, 100 Years of Solitude? It's a great, great book. Uh, this particular book, 100 Years of Solitude, was actually a Pulitzer Prize, or excuse me, a Nobel Prize winner. And he is a South American writer, but he has great insight into life, and he tells these stories in such a way to help us spiral into each other's lives, even though we might come from different cultures, more deeply and, 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 and more deeply each day. And in this particular story, there, there's a village that is suffering from the plague of insomnia. And as the plague begins to spread throughout the, the village, as more and more of the villagers are, are plagued with insomnia, the lack of sleep leads to forgetfulness. Everyone's memory becomes sort of, of devastated. And to try and to salvage memory, Marquez describes how there's this fellow by the name of Jose who has this elaborate, pran, uh, elaborate plan to help people to, to remember. And so he takes an inked brush and he begins to go around the town labeling everything. If it's a door, he writes door. If it's a table, he writes table. If it's a chair, he writes chair on it. He even does this with the livestock. He writes, this is a cow. This is a chicken. This is a dog. This is a cat. And as the, the insomnia play continues and memorization or, or memory begins to fail people more and more and more, it has to become even more elaborate to one point where he has to write... This, this sign, as an example, on a cow that says, this is the cow. She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk, and the milk must be boiled in order to be mixed with coffee to make coffee and milk. The problem, though, is that the insomnia continues, and so does the greatness of their memory loss, to the point that they, they become fearful that as they forget how to read the, 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 what the, the values of a written letter might mean, they become so frightened that they are going to forget everything that they even post out, inside, out in front of the, the town, at the entrance of the town, a sign that says, God exists. This, uh, this last weekend, Ellen and I were in Lubbock checking on her parents who uh, her sisters and her brothers have just had to put into, uh, into assisted living. Her father has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, her mother with uh, some dementia issues. And, and one of the things that's becoming uh, just a part of their life and has been for, for probably at least uh, a year or so is the noticeable loss of memory. Uh, as we were driving to Lubbock, uh, Ellen is, is talking to her, her mother and father and, and has to remind her mother and father that we're not coming up on Friday, we're coming up on, or not coming up on Thursday, but we're coming up on Friday. And within a span of about 30 seconds, she has to remind her mother of that five times. And, and, and part of the process of Alzheimer's and, and dementia, as many of you know and know better than I do, having gone through it in a more personal and, 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 and a deeper way, is that there comes a point where when you forget and you begin to forget more and more and you begin to forget some of the most essential points in life that your life actually becomes a liability to you rather than something that is, is peaceful and, and, and necessarily an asset. That the loss of memory is an incredibly, incredibly dangerous thing to a human being. When we forget, things come unraveled. 
And that's, that's why we do this every year. And talking to our young people, who many of them have, have grown up, many of the kids that are graduating and, and leaving home right now were two and three years old when I, when I first arrived here at Mac. And one of the things that we do as a church family is to remind each other on a regular and a daily basis the importance of, of the existence of God. To say to each other, in case we forget... And it's easy to forget that when you begin the day, especially if anxiety and worries and problems of that day become you know, crumbling and tumbling in on top of you, is to forget that God exists. And so for a very short period of time this morning, we're just going to remember five essential points, five essential truths or facts that every disciple of Jesus should know, especially those we remind them as they head off to college. The first one is this, God is the core and the center of all things. Let's say that together as a church. God is the core and the center of all things. Going all the way back to the Ten Commandments, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, this is one of the core values and truths, the central truths of what it means to be a follower of God. That there is, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, no other God before God. Now what that means is that, well, it's actually a reminder that our hearts are made for worship. That what we're going to do is worship naturally. The Bible never says, thou shalt worship. What the Bible assumes to be a fact is the fact that all of our hearts will somehow be tuned to something and worship that. What the Bible says, though, is that let it be God. What it is that you worship, let it be God. Because putting God at the core and the center as the, 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 uh, the tether point for your entire life creates a life that flourishes. Over and over in the Bible, and this is just one example, one that maybe you haven't thought about in a long time, but you know there were cities all over the ancient world that did not flourish because they forgot, like that village, in, in 100 years of solitude, they forgot that God exists. And so in Isaiah chapter 17, talking about the city of Damascus, he says, all will be desolation because you have forgotten God your Savior and have not remembered the rock your fortress. You know, wherever we go in this life, one of the big temptations is to get so tied up in life and to get, and, and to get so busy with life that it, it, it becomes rather easy and sometimes even sort of natural for us to go about our day without any reference to God. Forgetting is easy. Remembering is extremely hard in a world where, a culture where, you know, what have you done for me lately seems to be the mantra. You know, you could have done a million things, but what have you done for me today? And then that becomes the way to dismiss. And so at the core of everything that we do and think and how we live in this life is about God being at the center of all things. Number two, live in the grip of grace. Wherever you go, live in the grip of grace. Let's say that together. Live in the grip of grace. Paul reminds the church in Ephesus this very fact. He says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Your salvation is a gift. It's a gift that has been given to you at great cost. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul will say the same thing to the church in Rome. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this what? Grace. We live in grace. 
you know, for, for some of us, you know, 20 years is not all that long of a period of time. But in 1995, in the spring of 1995, baseball was a really different kind of a game. The professionals, both in the major league and the minor league, had decided that they wanted to go on strike, but the owners of those teams decided, you know what, we're not going to give in to the demands of the players. We're going to start the season on time. So what the owners conspired to do was to hire anyone who knew the difference between a bunt and a strike. And so one day, here's this guy who's coaching Little League, and the next moment, he's playing in the big leagues. Now, quite frankly, if you remember that season, those beginning games weren't anything to write home about. Uh, There were hits that barely even made it into the outfield. There was one uh, manager of a team that said, you know, his pitchers are so slow that it won't even register on the clock. But the game was different for a different kind of a reason. It was different not because the skill level was, was, was diminished with, with substitute players, which it was, but it was different because the players themselves were having a ball. When the coach said run, they ran. When the coach needed somebody to go out into the outfield and to shag a couple of flies, there were a dozen guys that ran out into the, into the outfield to do that. They came to the ballpark early, and at the end of the day, the grounds crew had to usher them out because they were having the time of their life. They had to be ushered out of the park. And at the end of the games, they would thank the attendants for washing their uniforms. They would thank the caterers who brought the food into the clubhouse. They thanked the fans who paid a dollar to come and watch them. And you know what? When the ump made a call they didn't like, they didn't question it. At the end of the game, they thanked the ump for umpiring the game. What was the difference? These guys knew that they were living a life they didn't deserve. It made all the difference in the world. They knew that they didn't deserve to be out on that field. Their skill level was such that they didn't even barely, some of them, you know, should even touch that field, let alone play the game on those fields. They realized that they were living a life that they didn't deserve. And, you know, I think there's just something really important. When you realize that you are living in the grip of God's grace every day, that you are getting the life that you don't deserve, it changes the way that you live. You know, one of the ways that you describe the gospel is that it introduces you to the possibility of a life that you don't deserve. You cannot save yourself. Jesus, who is the Son of God, came to earth in the form of a human being. He lived that perfect life, and because Jesus did not sin, death had no claim on his life. And Jesus, in love, died on the cross to pay our penalty for the sins that we had committed. And the resurrection, that three days after he he died on that cross, three days later he was resurrected, was a sign that God was satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice. And it's through our trust in what Jesus accomplished, in the washing away of our sins, in faith in what God accomplished through Christ, Through Christ Jesus, when we're baptized, we are participating in this death, burial, and resurrection. We come into a relationship with the one who made the heavens and the earth. And we live a life that we don't deserve. Number three, discipleship is a full-time job. You may have noticed through the years that when, when I talk about us, I sometimes use the word Christian, which I don't have. It's a biblical word. It's a great word. It's, it's a word that everybody understands. But I use more and more and more the term disciple. And the reason for that is that Christianity is, is more than just a philosophy that we have adopted. It is, it is about a, a, a life change. It is about a way of living our life that is different from the way we lived it before we became a disciple. It's, a, it's about timelessness. 
It's about the presence of God. It's about God being reintroduced into his creation by being reintroduced into human beings. To be a disciple means that we follow in the steps of Jesus and that we become like him in every area of our life. We don't pick and choose. We become, as C.S. Lewis says, these many Jesuses. Now, you know as well as I do, that's not going to happen overnight. It's a process and it's work. It's work. But whoever claims to live in him, 1 John chapter 2, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You live like Jesus whether you're in a dorm or in an office building on a military base, in the locker room, wherever, whichever apartment complex or house in a new town that you live in. And I will be the last one to tell you that that's a very easy thing to do. It's difficult to live across the grain. But we, we, we learn to worship and to serve people and to think differently in a way that... Well, it's, it's not easy, but we begin to think theologically. We begin to see the world and have a worldview and filters that are biblically generated, we begin to see the world as Christ sees it. And that's why we, we connect with disciples wherever we go. And then number four, service is the way of life. Service, it, it, service is not something that we schedule. Service is just, we are servants. Service is just what we do. It's our nature. It's, it's, it's a part of our DNA. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says, you know, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. You know, there was an article that was written some years ago, and the question was, you know, which superpower would you choose, flight or invisibility? And as the question was posed to people, they said, you can't have both, and you'll be the only person in the world to have that particular superpower, so which would you choose? So on this episode of the radio show, The, the American Life, they explored the question, what superpower would you choose? And these were the results, and, they, and, they, and quite frankly, they were really, really surprised at what people said. Everyone, they were surprised, first of all, that everyone knew what superpower they would adopt. Everyone knew exactly which power they wanted and what they would do with it. Their plans, though, and this was part of the surprise, weren't really all that heroic, and they weren't, really weren't all that flashy. In fact, they almost never were. There was one woman who said, you know, I want the power of invisibility so that she could, she could sneak into stores and steal cashmere sweaters. Typically, this is how it goes. People who turn invisible will sneak into the movies or onto airplanes. People who fly stop taking the bus. Here's one thing that pretty much no one ever says, though. I would use this power to fight crime. Nobody said, I will use my power to fight crime. No one seems to care about crime like the guy who said, I don't think I want to spend a lot of time using my power for good. I mean, if you had to rescue somebody from a burning building or something like that, you might catch fire. You know, the world is just all about me. The world gets so focused on, on how I'm affected and what I want and how I might be changed or, or how I might be inconvenienced. The, the most perfect human being, Christ, who was without sin and without blemish in his entire life, who lived a life in perfect love, did not see life as about himself. He saw his life 
Not about being served, but about serving other peoples to the point that his life in service and in sacrifice became the way in which we found ourselves coming into that grip of grace in which we find peace and joy in this life. Wherever you go, serve. Serve people. Never let inconvenience stand in the way of doing something good. A selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed life is just plain boring. We think about this, the Good Samaritan. All of those guys stepped around that fellow who was, who was injured on the Jericho Road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stepped around him because they were thinking, what will happen to me if I stop? And then that Good Samaritan comes along and he's the guy that stops because he realizes that life is really about a different question. And the question he asked himself is what happens to him if I don't stop? Life is about service. And the last thing, treasure the church. You probably have heard this so many times, but this church loves you. We watched you grow up. We, we have seen you become young adults. We've seen you get ready to go out on your own. Every person in this church wants what's best for you. And quite frankly, who doesn't need more and more of that? There are so many people in the world that will love you this far and no, no further. And that, that, that stopping point is, you know, they love you for what they can get out of you. And once that's done, that's where the line stops. What we are taught as disciples of Jesus in our fellowship with one another and our relationship as a family is that we love each other all the way to the place that we sacrifice for each other and that we seek the best good for one another, even if it means giving of ourselves. And who doesn't need more of that? You ever see someone at this church at one of your piano recitals or at your, your school play or, or at one of your sporting events or... It's because they love you. And it's because they're interested in, in what you become and, and who you become and where you go and especially where you are with Christ. And one of the things that happens wherever you go is the need to be surrounded by people that love you like that. And so as you get ready to, to take off for whatever's next in life, wherever God is directing you and calling you, yeah, I want you to remember these five things and, and maybe to put them up in some place where you can be reminded. Stick them in your Bible or write them down on a note in your, your iPhone or your, your smart device. Write them down someplace. Put them someplace where you can be reminded that God is at the center and the core of all things. That we live in the grip of, 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 of God's grace. That service is a way of life. That we are to, to treasure the church as the church treasures us and that discipleship is a full-time job. There are no days off from being a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Now we're going to sing a song right now, and you know this is our invitation time. We're going to have some of our shepherds down here at the front, and maybe there are some ways that we can pray for you or we can minister to you. Maybe you're, you're, you're trying to discover how you actually come into that grace, how you become a child of God, how you become a, a, a disciple of Jesus. Well, we're going to have some men down here at the front that can help you with all of those questions. 
And if that fits you in any way, come down to the front and talk to him as we stand and praise God together. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. 